Thank you, Sharon. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good morning to our listeners on T102. Happy to have you have them with us, and I hope they enjoy the service. A couple of announcements before we start. The rose on the pedestal right there is in honor of Don and Carol Heights. 60th wedding anniversary that will take place here on October the 11th. That's Thursday. So happy anniversary to those two. If you happen to see them, don't be afraid to congratulate them. The one warm coat drive ends this Friday. So if you have any coats that you want to get rid of that are gently used but still usable by someone else and you'd like to no longer have them in your wardrobe, bring them to church. It says in the youth room, It's I guess the barrel is in that room, which is the heritage room. So uh, we've got that clear. Also, the children's uh, nursery will be upstairs or in that room right there now for this whole month. According to the caretakers, it won't be impossible that Eric will have three-year-olds in the choir here. So if you happen to see during the service the door opens, it's because somebody got away. Um, Asbestos removal begins tomorrow and will continue almost through the entire week. Uh, So if you have to come into the church, but the areas are cordoned off, stay out of there, please, because of the asbestos that might be in the air because it's being uh, moved or it gets stirred up. Now, on a sad note, uh, if you didn't know this, Neil Kennery passed away on Wednesday night, October the 3rd. Uh, private family services will be held now at a later date, so bad news there. Okay, if you would all stand, please, and join me in the call to worship. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it, on his law, day and night. That person, like a tree, and you Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Okay, remain standing, and in the blue hymnal, go to number 577, Blessed the Nation.
children come forward now for the children's chat. Take a moment, greet your neighbors. Oh, good. Good morning. Reagan and I were starting to stress up here because we thought we were going to be the only girls. So thanks for coming up, Leah. All right. So, oh, yep. So, how many of you have ever given a party? How many of you have ever been in charge of a party? Maybe it's just a tea party. But when we give a party, what's the first thing that we need to do? We need to make a list of the people we want to invite to our party, right? We need to make a list of of who. And then the next thing we need to do is we need to make an invitation. And, you know, in the olden days, it used to be a card that folded in half and it said, you're invited to. Well, these are now all the rage. It's just a simple one-page thing. This is... An invitation to my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary, which is coming up. And so we had to plan it. We had to figure, well, they figured out who to invite. But then we have on here what day, what time, and where where lunch is going to be. Okay? And we also included a couple pictures. Now, we have our invitation all ready. We put it in an envelope. What do we need to do with the envelope? Mail it. Okay, so we take it to the post office. Okay, now, does the mailman get to decide who gets the invitation and who doesn't? What if it's raining out? But, can, can, well, you can stay inside, but if it's raining out, can the mailman decide, or mail lady, decide who gets, that they just don't feel like delivering invitations that day, so they're just not going to deliver them? It's, no. Is Grandpa allowed to pick who he delivers his mail to? Nope. Nope. He's got to deliver it to everybody. If it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's really cold or really hot. Okay? So, Jesus sent out an invitation. Did you know that? Jesus sent out an invitation. And his invitation says, Come, whoever is thirsty, let them come. And whoever wishes... Let him take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus has also decided who is being invited. Everyone is invited. Isn't that cool? We are all invited. Everybody here, everybody in New Knoxville, everybody in the United States, everybody in the world is invited. Even penguins? Even penguins, yes. Now... It's time for Jesus to deliver that invitation. Do you know who Jesus has chosen to deliver the invitation to come be a part of God's family? Who has he chosen to deliver those invitations? Is just the mailman or the mail lady going to deliver those invitations? No, we all need to help deliver those invitations, okay? Jesus tells us to go everywhere everywhere and tell everyone about his love for them and jesus sent the invitation and he has given the job of delivering it to you and to me if we're busy or not if it's raining or if the sun is shining we need to deliver that message before it's too late so we have a job we get to be the mailman 
Okay, we get to be the mailman. Okay, so let's let's say a quick prayer and think about how we can be the mailman and deliver God's invitation. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Help us to be that mailman, to go out and deliver the message and invite everyone to come be a part of your family because it is the best family ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, have a great night. Killed this week in Afghanistan, Specialist James A. Schlappe, 23, in Helmand Province is where he died. He was from Moorhead City, North Carolina. Also lost in Houston, Sergeant Masamba Diata, 29, from San Diego, California. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be your people, uh, as that song sang, as, as we sang that song this morning, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We, we ask that you would help us, your people, here in this place, in this nation, to, to seek hard after you. I pray that you would help us to be uh, the people that you describe in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord, as, as your people, as the church, help us to be that nation. Help us to be that people who have been called out by you uh, to be ambassadors in this world for your kingdom. Help us to live in such a way that, that people see our good deeds, see how we live, and glorify you as a result of it. Uh, Lord, help us to be those people that, that um, are out and, and sharing the good news and sharing your love with everyone we meet. And Lord, as we do that, as we pray that your spirit would equip us to, with the words to say, with that right invitation, Lord. We pray that you would soften people's hearts so that they may know you and be drawn into your kingdom as well and into your family and become sons and daughters of the king. Lord, help us to be that people here in New Knoxville. Help us to be that people um, in, in our jobs, in our workplaces, in our families, at our schools. And Lord, help us to, to know you and to, uh, and to share that knowledge and share that love with everyone. Lord, we, we, we lift up our concerns to you this morning as well. Uh, we pray for the Ketter-Henrik family and, and with Neil's passing. We pray for all those, Lord, who are who have lost loved ones recently, and we, we pray, Lord, for your peace and your comfort and your strength to be with them as well. Uh, Lord, we also lift up our concerns that are in the bulletin, uh, we, the names and the situations that are represented there. We ask for your special care and your provision to be, in the, to be with those people and to work in those situations. Uh, Lord, we often in prayer come to you and, and, and think we know what's best, and, and we tell you what, what we want to see happen. And, and Lord, we do that um, this day, we, we ask that you would work and we ask, Lord, you would heal and bring provision and bring, bring special care in these situations. Lord, we do so in full knowledge that your will is what's best for us. And so we submit ourselves to you. We submit these situations to you. And Lord, even though we know what we want to happen, uh, we ask that your will would be done and that in all things you would work uh, for the good of your people in these situations.
Uh, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and in his authority and in his power and not our own. We pray as he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Those helping with the offering uh, come forward at this time. Our offering music will be played by Sharon Cheney.
please remain standing for our scripture reading this morning, which comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. Father, we ask for your guidance this morning as we open your word together, as we continue our conversation about what it means to be a disciple and to follow after you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. I pray that you uh, give me words to speak as I deliver this message. And I pray that you would soften all of our hearts, Lord, uh, towards your word and towards what you're calling us to be and to do this day. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Back in the, in the 1700s uh, was a time of, of revival in, in our land, and our country, and there were two uh, very uh, well-known evangelists at that time. Uh, one was a man by the name of George Whitfield, and the other was John Wesley. And they both had very strong ministries, very prominent ministries. And, and, and reflecting back and looking back on that time period, uh, George Whitfield often had large gatherings. Now, he was a, a person... Um, obviously there was no microphones, there was no, you know, modern technology in that day, but still many, he would, he would uh, attract large, large crowds who would come and hear him preach and hear the gospel proclaimed. And many people, many, many people as a result of his ministry gave their lives to Christ and were welcomed into the kingdom. Uh, Wesley had similar, uh, outreaches, similar, um, evangelistic meetings, but, but the extent of them wasn't quite as big as Whitfield's. Whitfield tended to draw larger crowds. Wesley uh, and his brother Charles also uh, drew, drew big crowds. But uh, their immediate impact maybe wasn't quite as big as Whitfield's. But over time, there was a difference. Wesley developed a, a system of following up with his people. Um, there was a method to what he was doing. Not only did he have these evangelistic meetings, but then he would, he would strategically put people into groups so that they could continue to learn about the Lord, continue to study the word and, and fellowship with each other long after that evangelistic meeting was done. Um, in fact, that was the birth of what is known as the Methodist tradition. And, and we have the United Methodist Church still today. Um, there was a method to what they were doing. There was follow up. But with Whitfield, that was not the case. Um, he would go into a town, he would preach, there'd be this big evangelistic meeting, there'd be this revival, but there was no follow-up, there was no follow-through with those, with those people in an in a organized way like Wesley had. And so while, while Whitfield had the larger gatherings and the larger immediate impact than Wesley did, his influence, in a sense, kind of died with him. And, and when he was gone, there was no planned or strategic kind of follow-through with the people that attended his meetings. And so now looking back more than 200 years later, we see the lasting impact that their ministries had. Wesley um, and, and his Methodist had a, have, still have a strong impact in, in the Christian community today. There's still denominations that were birthed out of that movement that are still with us today, but that is not the same case 
with Whitfield. And I share that with you today because we're talking about how a disciple is teachable. We're talking about the importance of, of continuing to grow in our faith and following through with the commitment that we make to Christ. And for those that attended Whitfield's meetings, they may have been uh, they, they, they may have been stirred, their hearts were changed as a result of that, that meeting, but without the follow-through, it's easy to kind of fizzle out like we talked about last week. Uh, instead, with, with Wesley, what we got was people that were strategically uh, taught the Word of God and done so in community so that they could continue to grow in the faith and continue to, to pursue after Christ in everything they did. There's really two parts of disciple-making, if you think about it, that are outlined for us here in this great commission that Maria read for us from the Matthew chapter 28. The first is baptism. And baptism represents conversion. It represents that initiation and welcome into the community of faith, bringing people into the faith community um, initially. And so that was, you know, you see that a lot at evangelistic meetings like Whitfield's or Wesley's or Billy Graham's or others that we've seen in the years since. There's that initial decision. Give your life to Christ. Welcome him. You know, you are welcomed into God's family. It's a, in, in a sense, a, a momentary decision, even if it does take place over an extended period of time, like it does for so many people. But there's that initial putting your trust in Christ and being welcomed into his family. But that's not all. If discipleship stops there, it's only half discipleship. There's also, we also need to follow through and continue that lifelong journey of teaching. So Jesus tells his disciples to go out into the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so if baptism is the welcome into Christ's kingdom, if it's the, the reception into his family, then the teaching is that ongoing process of spiritual growth. It's that continual obedience. Maybe put another way, it's a lifestyle change. We tend to focus a lot on the first step. We tend to focus a lot on conversion. We tend to focus a lot on getting people to put their trust in Christ and welcome him into his family. But like Whitfield, we often fall short on that second part, teaching them to obey and following through and really, really instilling a sense of, of, of spiritual growth in people's lives. As a parent, I've said many times with Josephine, and now I'm saying it again with Miles, hold them in, in, in those good moments. You know, they're smiling at you. They're wonderful. They're well-behaved. They're not crying. You look at them and I say, man, I wish you could just stay like this forever. Right. You wish you could just hit pause on that moment and just hold on to them no matter what age they are. So, you know, you have those moments of Josephine as a four year old, have those moments of Miles as an eight month old. And you just wish you could just hold on to them and stay in those moments forever. But then reality sets in (laughs) and it's not true. None of us want to be in that stage of parenting forever, do we? None of us want to be changing diapers for the rest of our lives. None of us want to be having to deal with kids who are, who are, you know, learning and to walk and grow and all those things that come along with the growth process of children. You know, we, we want to hold on to those moments, but it's not true that we want to just stay there forever. I can't imagine being a, a 60, 70, 80 year old person still trying to take care of a baby uh, with that, with that, those issues in that stage of life. I think the same is true for our spiritual growth. We may, you know, we don't want to stay babies 
forever. We can't stay infants in the faith forever. While there's those moments of joy when we first come to know Christ and that newness of the faith is, is a wonderful thing, we don't want to be new forever. We don't want to be stuck in that stage for the rest of our lives. Part of what it means to put our trust in Christ and to follow him and to be his disciples is to grow in that, to no longer remain babies or infants in the faith, but to grow to maturity. And to, to do that, we must be teachable. And so the question is, why do we neglect teaching? Why does that come? Uh, why is that such a difficult thing to, to pursue at times? Well, there's a few things that I, wanna, I want us to focus on today that will kind of guide our discussion. First of all, teaching involves submitting to an authority beyond ourselves. In other words, we must be obedient to something beyond ourselves. And that's true for anything. Think about, uh, think about math students, right? I had, a, I had a math and physics background in college before I switched over to, to pursue a, a life of ministry. And, and the very basics of math is, is admitting that there's a standard, or, or there's, a, there's a core truth beyond ourselves. So, so even at the most basic level, in order to grow in my math skills, I must admit that 2 plus 2 does in fact equal 4. If I were to go on to the rest of my life and admit 2 plus 2 is equal to 7 or 9 or orange, then I can't continue on in that pursuit of knowledge, right? There, I have to, as a math student, admit that there's something beyond myself, some standard that I have to conform to if I want to grow in that knowledge, if it's true for, for something like math, it's especially true for Christian discipleship. We must admit that there's something beyond ourselves and some standard that is outside of us that we must conform to. And that's not an easy thing for us to admit. And that thing outside of ourselves is God and his word. It's God and, 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 and the, his representation, the, the perfect representation, the person of Jesus Christ. And so we must submit to him. We have to be obedient to his word. But oftentimes we, we don't want to do that. Instead of putting ourselves under, the, under God's authority, we try to subject God's word and we try to subject what God's doing in our lives to our authority. John Stott, a famous pastor in the United Kingdom, once said, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture and must learn to sit humbly under its judgment instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. So we, we neglect teaching because it means submitting to something beyond ourselves. We, we also neglect teaching because when change ha- because it's in teaching that change takes place and change is hard. It's hard to change whether it's simple habits at home or the, the, our, our worldview and lifestyle. Our change is a difficult thing to grasp. And so as we delve into God's word, as we submit to his authority, naturally change is going to take place. And that's not something we necessarily want for ourselves. We want to hold on to what we know. We want to hold on to what is familiar. And we want to hold on to our own autonomy instead of submitting to God's authority. We also refuse, or excuse me, we neglect change um, because a willingness to learn admits that there are things in our lives that need fixing. 
and that we don't have it all together and that there's something greater than us that we must conform to. In other words, we can't do it on our own. We need someone to come alongside us and teach us and point us in the right direction. I spent time both within my math and physics background as well as my time in seminary as a, as a tutor um, helping other people out in their classes. And the thing that amazed me is, is someone could, could sit in class, receive all that instruction, um, but, it, but it's, it's like a stone wall, right? It goes in one ear and out the other. But the moment that I you know, sat down next to that person, the moment I, I gave them some one-on-one time and, and walked it through in a way that they, you know, I'm not saying I was the best tutor in the world, I'm not trying to admit that, but, but walking alongside someone and coming alongside them and trying to help them understand it uh, made a huge difference for them. And it was the moment that, that someone came alongside them that made a difference. And so for Christians, that, that is the role of the Holy Spirit, to, to teach us and to guide us into all truth. And so we must be first obedient to God's word and what he's doing in our lives. We must be, have, a, have a desire to see change, desperate for, our, for God's word. And we must also be spirit-led in, in our teachability. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So first we need to be obedient to God's word. And, and, and I say obedience because teaching and obedience go hand in hand. Notice in, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus didn't say, teach them to recite all the things that I have taught you. He didn't say, teach them to memorize all of the things that I taught you. He said, teach them to obey. What, what God is getting at here, what he desires from us is more than just simple intellectual knowledge, more than just being able to recite scripture or certain aspects of the faith, although that may be a part of it. Teaching a more holistic view should lead to obedience as the knowledge of God takes root in our lives. Think of what James says in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. In James chapter 1, 22 through 25, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face, at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. And so we must respond to God's word. We must respond to the knowledge he's given us with obedience. And so to to obey, you first must know what God's word is. During my time as a youth pastor, I spent many nights at all-nighters and at summer camp and mission trips. And, and I remember one, one time in particular, the students wanted to teach me a new card game. I love playing cards, so I was like all into this. I was excited that there was a new game I was going to learn. And they told me that the name of the game was Mao. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this game or are familiar with it, but I had no idea what they were talking about. So they get out a deck of cards and they shuffle it and they, they, they deal out a hand for each of us. And as we get started to play, I said, okay, so what are the rules? How do you, how do you play this game? And they just looked at me and, he, and they said, yeah, uh, how do they put it? He says, uh, we're not allowed to talk about the rules. The first rule is this. And they just started playing the game. And I looked around and I was utterly confused. Everybody seemed to know what was going on except me. And so, and so they started playing this game and they were playing it kind of like Uno. You know, you're laying cards down in front of you, but... But different cards had different rules attached to them. And so, so the way that you learned the game was by trial and error. 
And so you played a card, and if it was the right card to play, it went on to the next turn. If you played a card and it was the wrong card, you were penalized, but you weren't told why. And so the whole point of the game was you had to figure out, you had to decipher what the rules were as you were playing. And, and it drove me crazy. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I played it once, and then I, I was convinced that they were making up the rules as they went along. Uh, just to like, it was like some elaborate prank just to, to trick their youth pastor. But, but I looked it up and actually is a legitimate, legitimate game. Uh, the frustrating thing about that card game was that I had no idea what the rules were. I had no idea what was expected of me. I had no idea how to play. And there was nothing for me to do in order to, to learn the rules except through trial and error. Some of us think that's what life is like, that, that this is all just trial and error. That life and the experience that we have in it is simply just trying to do our best and learning from our mistakes and moving on. But the reality is that God has given us something. God has given us his word so that we can know what is expected of us. We can know what God desires from us. In ancient, in ancient religions, a lot of these religious practices around, around God's people, part of their concern was that they had no idea what their God wanted of them. And so they would do all of these elaborate sacrifices. They do all these elaborate rituals, hoping that something stuck, hoping that something pleased the God enough to respond to their prayers. It was almost like shooting in the dark. But God has not left us in the dark. He has given us his word to guide us and to encourage us and to show us the way to him. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17 says, but as for you, Paul is speaking to Timothy He says, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know these from which, excuse me, you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us his words so that we can know him, so we can know what it means to, to be in a relationship with him and to follow him. And so we, to obey, we first must know, but we also must delight in his word. The longest psalm, in fact, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And it's all a celebration of God's law and the importance of knowing and obeying it. And it's not a, a reluctance obedience, but it's a joyful obedience. And it's through knowing God's word and obeying it that, that the servant of God is equipped and, the, and, and the, the person who desires to know God uh, is able to avoid sin. Look, just look at verse 11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 105. Yes, that's 105. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. The whole psalm is just a celebration of God's word and, and the importance of its guidance towards us. Psalm 19 is another example. The first half of the psalm revels in God's glory and, and celebrates how, it point, how God's creation declares the glories of God to all people. And then the second half of the psalm describes an even better revelation than creation, and that is God's law. In all these passages and others, we see that knowing God's word leads to obeying God's word. God doesn't want us to just memorize scripture. He doesn't want us to just, to just know it in an intellectual sense. He wants us to live it out. But to live it out, you must know it. So we, as a teachable disciple, we must be willing to, to submit ourselves to God's word and to know it. 
but we also must be desperate for God's word. We often take it for granted, don't we? We reluctantly go to God's word. We know we should set aside time. So we got five minutes here and we, we open up God's word, but our heart and our mind really isn't in it. And in those moments, you don't always get a whole lot of it. Sometimes God does meet you there and it, and it turns around. But, but a lot of times we, we go there reluctantly and, and, and therefore we, our heart isn't in it and we're, we're distracted. As part of my Sunday school last week, we had a conversation, an interesting conversation you know, God's word is so available today. We have access to it in so many different ways. And without, without cost, we don't value it like we should. You know, what if it cost you something to read God's word every day? What if it was illegal to own a Bible and the only way to have access to God's word was to hide it away somewhere? How would that, a change, how would that change how you approach scripture and how you approach your time with God's word? The psalmist knew what it meant to be desperate for God's word. In Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, he writes, You, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I don't think any of us have truly been thirsty like the psalmist has described there. Probably the, the thirstiest I've ever been in my life was when I was a teenager playing football and we were doing double sessions in the summer out in the sun and the heat and working hard. And, and I remember just longing for those water breaks. There was this tree by the practice field that had shade, and that's where all the water bottles were. And the moment that the coach said, take a break, we all just ran over there. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to take a little sip of water just to you know, quench my thirst. This was like full-blown water in my mouth, squirting all over our heads. We were like pouring water on our shoulder pads just to cool ourselves off. Like there was this desperation to get over there and to... to get that water in order to, to cool us off and be satisfied. But that pales in comparison to what true thirst and true hunger is like. And, and I think that's why God's word, God compares our longing for him to those, those base urges that we have. We need to recognize our need for God. We need, to, we need to cultivate dependence and desperation in him because the more we know God, the more we'll know, want to know about him. The more we learn about God, the greater and more holy he becomes in our sight. And, and the, more, the greater and the more holy he becomes in our sight, the more we recognize our need for him. So things like confession leads to desperation because we recognize our shortcoming. We recognize our need for God and that we can't go anywhere else but to him for, for those things that are important to us. And desperation is also built on a regular commitment to God's word. As we commit ourselves day in and day out to be in his word and to be in a relationship with him, we'll become more dependent and more desperate for him. Those times when we miss out on our, on our time with the Lord really hit home when we have that sort of regular commitment to his word. And finally, we must also be willing to, to submit to the Spirit's leading in our study of God's word. We must be filled with the Spirit in order to be teachable. 
The blessing is that Jesus didn't leave us on our own, but he promised the gift of the Spirit to guide and to teach us. See, that's the primary role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's to guide us and to lead us into truth. In John 14, Jesus says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And in John 16, verse 13 through 15, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. See, God teaches us, he guides us as we, as we allow the Spirit to lead us in our lives. You know, this, this is no ordinary book. The Bible isn't just like any other book that you're going to read, but it's, but it's living and active, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And the reason why it says is that because the Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. The Spirit helps us to understand Scripture in a way that goes beyond just our simple knowledge that we can attain ourselves. It's like being able to have a conversation with the author of the book because God's Word is breathed out by the Spirit, as it says in Second Timothy chapter 3. It's inspired by God. And so the Spirit in us can help us to understand it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, Paul describes how, how, how we have the mind of Christ in us. The Spirit dwelling in us helps us to understand God's will for our lives and God's Word because it is the very Spirit of God who lives in us. And who better to reveal the truth of God's word to us than the spirit of God himself. And so it's as we learn to, to grow in our relationship with him, as we learn to what it, know what it means to be guided by the spirit, we will grow in our knowledge of the word and therefore grow in our obedience to the word as well. But it's not necessarily some mystical or otherworldly relationship that we have. The spirit often leads us through ordinary means to instruct us and guide us. It's the regular reading of his word day in and day out that we grow in our faith, that the spirit guides us. It's the community of faith, having brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and build us up, that the spirit often speaks to us. Very rarely do we get the writing in the sky, audible voice, Damascus Road experience like so many of us would love to have. But it's through those regular conversations, it's through the regular reading of God's word that the spirit speaks to us. And it's through reminders like communion that we're reminded of God's grace. I mentioned at the very beginning of my sermon that, that our commitment to the Lord is not just a one-time act, but it's that ongoing process. It's that commitment to the Lord from that point for the rest of your life. And so we need to be lifelong learners. We need to commit to God's word and commit to our relationship with him and with his church so that we can grow in our faith. And one of the ways that we do that is the regular Receiving of communion, that time where we meet with the Lord through the, through the bread and through the juice, the reminders of what God has done for us and his grace for us. That, this time is a reminder of all that he has done to make this possible. And so I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts and minds for that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the choir. They're, going to, they're actually going to sing an anthem for us to invite us to the table. 
And as that's happening, I invite the elders to come forward and I'll be giving some instructions for communion following that. Let me pray just real briefly and then we'll invite the choir to to help us prepare our hearts. Father, we thank you that you have sent your spirit to guide us and instruct us. Lord, help us to be teachable. Help us to be have a desperation for your word and an obedience to your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.